invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10. We've been in a series through the book of Daniel and make our way now to chapter 10. I remember when I uh, began this series, uh, many of us are familiar with the first six chapters of Daniel, some of the most exciting stories in the Bible, a fiery furnace, a den of lions. Um, and many of you asked early on, are you going to continue beyond those chapters into the prophecies and into the more difficult passages? And I said, sure, why not? And uh, so here we are in some of the more difficult uh, passages in the Bible, and yet some of the most instructive and some of the most powerful when we get the main ideas that are being conveyed to us and taught to us. And so really thankful uh, to be able to spend this time together to hear from our God from Daniel chapter 10 as we come to the final vision in this book. Before we read, though, let's pray that God would bless this word to us. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, it's with your Son that is found eternal life, and even the words of eternal life. And we, so, we pray that he would speak to us and that we would hear his voice as it encourages us, as it strengthens our faith, even as it kindles faith in the hearts of those who may have gathered with us today who have not trusted in Christ. So, Father, may your word go forth in power. May Jesus Christ, the Lord of lords and King of kings, be praised and honored. And may your church be built up as we look to him in his name. Amen. So, Daniel chapter 10, and we'll read the whole chapter. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked. And behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist, his body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision. But a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me twenty-one days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to, me, to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia, and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is four days yet to come. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. 
Then I opened my mouth and spoke and said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me and no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you, not, do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. So far from God's holy word. The vision itself, as many of you know, will come um, in the next chapter. Uh, but here is a preface uh, to this vision as Daniel encounters this mysterious heavenly figure. Now, when I reflect on my Christian life, um, I look back at times when God was working in me in, in a very noticeable, tangible way, in a sense. And in those times, and maybe you could relate to this as well, in those times where I noticed growth in my Christian life, um, no, noticed maturity in my Christian life, those were times when Christ became all the more clearer to me. Or when I look back at times in my life when God was working in me and I noticed times of growth, it was times when Christ himself appeared so much clearer to me than he had before. Who he was in his person, um, who he was in his work, who he was in his love towards his people and his salvation, who he was in his glory and his power. When Christ becomes clearer to his people, it's then that we are changed. Right? The Apostle Paul reminds us of this, that as we behold the glory of Christ, we're changed from one degree of glory to the next, when Christ becomes so clear to us. And one particular instance that I can look back on was when I was in college, probably first or second year in college, and I came across a sermon by Jonathan Edwards. Uh, many of you may be familiar with him. And this sermon was entitled, The Excellency of Christ. And it was a sermon based upon Revelation chapter 5, when the Apostle John is given a vision of heaven. And he sees this scroll that contains the plan of God for his world, a plan of redemption to save his people and to vindicate his people. And yet none in heaven or on earth are powerful enough, strong enough to open up this scroll to break its seal and to un unleash God's plan and purposes for his creation. And so John begins to weep, but as he weeps, a mighty angel proclaims to him and says, John, no, weep no longer, for the line of the tribe of Judah, the branch of David, has conquered. And so John's eyes are now lifted and, and he looks. He's told there's a lion, but he sees a lamb. And in this sermon by Jonathan Edwards, he was drawing out the point that in Christ, excellencies, virtues, um, things of greatness that we would often keep separate come together and converge. That in Christ, we find him to be both lion and lamb. In Christ, we find him to be both majestic and meek. He who is great beyond all reckoning is also deeply and personally gentle. He possesses not only strength, but sympathy for his people as well. In his acts towards us, 
and his heart towards us, he is both lordly and loving. These are the excellencies of him who is both the lion of the tribe of Judah and the lamb that has been slain. Even as we come to see something of him pictured here in Daniel chapter 10. The very same one who says, I wrestled with the prince of Persia, touches the lips of Daniel to raise him from trembling on his knees to standing upright and being strengthened. The very same one who was engaged in a cosmic conflict of great and powerful spiritual enemies comes to speak to his people tenderly and lovingly to build them up and strengthen them. And some of the problems that we find within the church today is often a desire to separate these qualities from Christ because often they're difficult for us to hold together. How can he be both majestic and meek? How can he both be both lordly and loving? And so we find expressions of Jesus in the church in which he is gentle but not great. He's meek but not majestic. He's loving but not lordly. He's sympathetic but he's not strong. He's a lamb but he's not a lion. And often this characterizes most of evangelicalism today. But on the other extreme, we have those for whom Jesus is great but he's not gentle. Those for whom Jesus is majestic but he's not meek. He's lordly, but not loving. He's strong, but not sympathetic. He is a lion, but not a lamb. He can wrestle the prince of Persia, but he is not going to comfort you personally. Rejecting both of those extremes, we must adhere to the scriptures that present us a Jesus in whom these excellencies, these things worthy of praise, converge and are held together. He is both lion and lamb. And it's that, that, is what, that is what Daniel comes face to face with in this chapter. He comes face to face with the comforter because Daniel is going to be told about a great conflict, right? But before the angel tells Daniel about this great conflict... He shows him the comforter, Jesus Christ, who is strong and sympathetic, right? Notice what it says in in verse 1 as a kind of summary, as a preface to this this chapter and also leading into chapter 11 and into chapter 12, the final chapter. It says there, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar, and the word was true, and it was a great conflict, If you recall our sermon from Daniel chapter 9 with the 70 weeks and we tried to explain what uh, was being conveyed there. But Daniel had said that the the period of time that would exist between Christ's first coming and his second coming would be one marked by trouble. It was a troubled time. And here the angel is revealing further details to Daniel regarding that time and summarizes it as a great conflict. A conflict that, as we're going to see in a moment, we ourselves are caught up in. But before that conflict is expressed to Daniel, before he's brought to see that conflict, he's first brought face to face with the comforter. And this is the way God operates, right? This is the way of God according to his covenant of grace. He doesn't first throw us into a conflict and then waits for us at the end of it and says, conquer, and then you'll have the prize. No, he meets us before the conflict, that he might be with us in the conflict, that he might see us safely through the conflict. It's he who is our comforter. 
And Daniel, if he is to face this conflict, if the people of God are to face this conflict and not cower, if they're to face this conflict and not shrink back, but they're to go forward with boldness and in faith, then they must have their eyes fixed upon the Comforter, and the Comforter as he has been revealed as both strong and sympathetic, a lion and a lamb. A comforter who is merely sympathetic but not strong is no comforter at all. What can he do for me? How can he save me? How can he keep me in the midst of these great and powerful enemies that Daniel gets a glimpse of, right? The the veil is torn back a bit as this angelic being comes to Daniel and he says, I was delayed because I was wrestling the prince of Persia Right, Daniel, in this chapter, there's great mystery here. We don't, can't explain all of this, but we're shown a glimpse. The veil is pulled back a little bit that we can see behind the conflicts that are visible to us. There is a deeper spiritual conflict of great and powerful enemies and foes that would be too strong for us to stand against even for one moment. That's what the Heidelberg Catechism reminds us as well, that our enemies, our our arch enemies, uh, the world, the flesh, and the devil are so powerful that if we were to stand against them alone, we would not stand even for one second. It's why we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So as we are brought face to face with this terrifying conflict, We know that we need one who is not just comforting, but one who is also powerful. Not just one who is sympathetic, but strong. Not just gentle, but great. Not just a lamb, but a lion. But we also need one who is not just great, but not gentle, right? One who is just strong, but not sympathetic. Because then his strength would be used for his own purposes and not for his people. But again, Christ comes first to us. He presents himself to us first. That in knowing him, in believing upon him, in being united to him by faith, and having his spirit then in us, we can face the conflict because we know we have a king who is both gentle and great, a lion and a lamb. One who can still the hand of the prince of Persia and one who can raise us up. If you notice this throughout this text, as Daniel encounters this figure and, and, this, and the vision is unfolded to him, that he's brought to his face on the ground. It's overwhelming to him. It's absolutely overwhelming to him. But over time, right, he is brought then from his face to his knees, trembling, until his lips are touched and he's put upright. And he says, oh man, um, he says to the one who has strengthened him, he says, I was, um, as he spoke to me, I was strengthened. His words strengthened Daniel. It's this Savior, it's this person that we too need to encounter. And so in the time we have left, I want us to think about first the comforter as he's shown here in Daniel, more than what we've been saying, but, uh, but, but related. And then secondly, the conflict that we find ourselves in, just to kind of give us some direction in the remainder of this sermon here. So we're come face to face with the comforter, and he's overwhelming in his greatness, Right? Daniel sees him in verse 5. I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen, 
with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sounds of his words like the sound of a multitude. Now the word like in this description is important, right? This isn't a literal description of what he was if we tried to bring it together. But in describing his appearance, all glorious, holy, 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 all powerful, mighty in strength, he appears as the finest of jewels and gems of the earth, brightness gleaming forth from his body, and his eyes searching everything like flaming torches and the strength of his legs like burnished bronze to carry out his purposes and then when he speaks it sounds like the crashing of powerful mighty waves the roar of a crowd daniel is overwhelmed by his appearance now there's some debate if this is referring to the pre-incarnate christ or if this is referring to an angelic figure I'm inclined to lean towards it being Christ and his, before his incarnation, uh, mostly because this same description with some more elaboration comes in Revelation chapter 1, which we won't read. But there it's directly speaking about Christ and his resurrection. Some have argued against that interpretation because later this same figure says that the prince of Persia held him up. How could Christ be held up by an enemy? Now, there's, there's, that's a legitimate um, objection, but you also might say, how did Jacob wrestle an angel uh, in, um, you know, back in Genesis? Um, right? it's, it's him condescending and coming. Of course, his strength is greater. Um, so, but that's a possible objection. Others have said it's, it's not the pre-incarnate Christ, but it's an angel. Uh, the angels around God's throne are not as we see them depicted around us with little babies in diapers you know, shooting arrows. Um, they were powerful creatures. I read about in Ezekiel chapter 1 as the cherubim um, pulled the chariot throne of God. Powerful beings, powerful creatures, and a very similar description to what we see here. But the glory and the brightness of the angels was, was always reflective of the one in whose presence they lived. Um, even if it isn't referring to the Christ, it's at least referring to his glory reflected in these heavenly beings. And if that's the case, then if this creature overwhelmed Daniel, how much greater the one whose glory they're reflecting? How much greater the power and the majesty of the one who they are bringing their message on behalf of? Christ is shown to us as to be of overwhelming majesty and greatness. And again, Daniel needed to know this because he's up against enemies that are far greater than he even realized. He sees kingdoms. He's lived through the Babylonian kingdom. He saw King Nebuchadnezzar come with powerful armies to destroy Jerusalem, bring them into exile. He's seen the Persians now come and defeat the Babylonians as this mighty empire. He's told that it won't even end there because a greater enemy, a greater empire, Greece is going to come and defeat Persia. And even beyond them, the Roman Empire, which is one that is of beastly proportions. Daniel is, is caught up in this terrible conflict, but he sees one stronger. He sees one greater. And so too us, and again, just to kind of jump the gun a little bit, so too as we are caught up in a conflict, as we are caught up in a spiritual war, 
We look not to our own strength, but we look to our commander. We look to the Christ who has come and the Christ who is able to keep us against all enemies and all harm. It's why we pray to him. And yet this very same figure, as we've been saying, of an overwhelming majesty is also one who comes near to Daniel, right? He comes close to him and raises him up and strengthens him. He is both lion and lamb. He is both lordly and loving. And as we look to him, just as Daniel saw him, so too, like Daniel, we too are strengthened. We too find vigor. We find courage. We find bravery for the fight ahead of us. Rather than um, cowering, rather than turning back, rather than compromising, rather than being afraid to engage in the conflict, we are then those who are brave for the sake of Christ and in his strength. We look to the very one who, greater than what Daniel saw, right? Daniel saw, whether it was Christ or one reflecting his glory, Daniel saw an overwhelming picture, and yet how much greater as we, with the eyes of faith, look to one who has conquered death. How much greater glory belongs to the one who has risen on the third day. To the one who has ascended to the right hand of the majesty in heaven. It's to him that we look. And when our eyes are fixed upon him, as we look to him, then we can run the race set before us. Then we can move forward. Then we can press on. Then we can... It begins with looking to Christ. It begins with this vision. And this vision then of the Christ, of his glory, of his majesty, of his greatness, but also of his kindness and gentleness and sympathy, is meant to steal us and strengthen us for the conflict. And again, that's our second point here, right, as we think about the conflict. Daniel is shown a glimpse, as we said earlier, into this spiritual warfare that is going on. It's not just a matter of nations fighting one another, but behind these nations you find these spiritual enemies and powers, again, ones that are so greater, much greater than us that we could not stand against them even for one moment. And yet we are caught up in this same conflict that Daniel was caught of, that ancient conflict between the city of God and the city of man with its, with its roots back in Genesis 3, seed of the woman and the seed of the serpents battling one another with the great promise that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent, though his heel will be bruised. It's that conflict that we see itself playing itself out throughout the pages of Scripture, and now in Daniel coming to cosmic proportions. It's kind of a, 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 if you notice throughout the Scriptures, right, early on Israel's enemies are are, um, impressive, but they're not overwhelming like the Babylonian empires or like the Persian empires, right? They fight city-states like Jericho and Ai, but now they're up against empires seeking to destroy them. The battle has grown to cosmic proportions, and God's people need a strong champion to fight for them. And this very same conflict that Daniel was part of, the Apostle Paul reminds us that we too are fighting even today as God's people. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says this to the church. He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord 
and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Paul's not speaking about some distant battle long ago or far away. He's speaking about you and the conflict that you find yourself in today. And a conflict that we must be aware of. You know, one of the greatest tactics of the enemy is to make us not think that we're at war. Make, the, make us not think that this is not time of peace, but of fighting. So that we don't think about the enemy's tactics and they're fighting against us and we are defeated. No, Paul is reminding us that the, we are the church militants. We are the church at war. We are the church at battle. And therefore, we are called to put on the armor of God. The very same armor that Christ wore when he battled the hosts of Satan and uh, the hordes of demons against him. That very same armor he wore in his earthly ministry as Satan came against him in the wilderness, as Satan tempted him even on the cross and seeking to fill, give him a final blow, sends him to the grave. The armor that Christ bore that brought him victory is the very same armor that he has given to you as his people to wear. And that armor, as Paul lays it out for us, is various pieces and there's, there's various dimensions and aspects to it. But all of it centers around his word and prayer. The armor that we have is his word. And the point of Paul going through the breastplate and the helmet and the shoes, everything that we're to put on, is to say that we are to be surrounded by the very word of God. Right? Think about the way Christ battled the enemy. He quotes back to him the very words of God. He walks and lives by every word that comes from his God. And so too with us, as we guard ourselves and clothe ourselves and surround ourselves with his word, that the enemy's darts and arrows, if they are to pierce us, they must first break through an unbreakable word. If they are to hit us, they must first go through that which cannot be broken, the word of God. And also, like Daniel, because right, you might say, okay, I'm in the midst of this conflict. I, can ex- I experience that conflict every day from the moment I wake up to the thoughts in my head to needing to fight for holiness and fight for Christ and fight for his word. How do I stand strong? Well, I'm in his word. I sit under his word. I diligently attend the means of grace as I sit under his word, preached and proclaimed to hear it with an attentive ear. But also, like Daniel, we find him throughout not only Daniel 10, but elsewhere to be a man of prayer, right? This whole chapter in Daniel 10 opens up with Daniel fasting and praying. And it's interesting that Daniel is fasting through the time that would normally be a time of Passover, when the Passover would be celebrated. But Daniel is foregoing that. In a sense, saying, Lord, as you delivered your people long ago, so again we're in exile, deliver us again. That's Daniel's prayer. And is that not our prayer today? With the great comfort and the great assurance that we have been delivered, and yet we await our final deliverance when our king comes again. But until then, we pray like Daniel. Lord, deliver. Lord, come. Lord, save. Lord, do not allow the gates of hell to prevail against your church. Lord, strengthen your church. Preserve your church. Increase your church. These are our prayers, even as they were Daniel's prayer. They look differently, but it's the same concept. 
And so, too, the Apostle Paul tells us that not only we are to put on the armor of God, but also praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Right, so not only in this conflict am I thinking about my own safety, but I'm thinking about the safety of my brother and my sister in the church. Making supplication for them, praying that they would be strengthened, praying that, that God would undergird them and strengthen them. And also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Praying that God's word would succeed. You know, we, we can pray for a lot of things to succeed, and often our hearts are often more drawn to other things for political success for the Christians or whatever else it might be for business success, for influence in the culture for the Christian. And those things are fine if they come, but the deepest desire in our heart, the deepest prayer that we offer up to God is for His Word to succeed as it draws men and women from every tribe, tongue, and nation into His church. Right? That's the priority of the church, praying for his word to go forth, to succeed. The gospel, though his people may be chained, the gospel may speed forth and conquer. And so in the midst of this conflict, we have both the word of God, in which we are to diligently hear and attend to, and we have prayer to call in our God for support and for help, to show our dependence upon him. And so we've seen both the comforter, the lion and the lamb, who, when we see, enables us to engage in the conflict. And because it is he who is with us, because it is the comforter, the one who is both lion and lamb, majestic and meek, lordly and loving, because it's he who is with us, we can be assured that as we engage in this conflict, we will be victorious in the end, no matter what it may look like as we're in that conflict, right? The conflict may look like the enemy is winning, but in the end, God will raise his people. And next week, we're going to consider uh, the vision itself, the conflict that Daniel uh, is shown. But I do want to jump ahead at least to the ending of this vision, right? Because he's shown a great conflict, but he's also seen a great comforter. And that means the conflict is not ultimate. The conflict is not the end for God's people, Something awaits us which comes at the end of this vision in Daniel chapter 12. There it says in verse 2 in Daniel chapter 12, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise, right, those who hear this message and do likewise, right, those who hear this message and believe, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. It's a beautiful promise of resurrection that God's people, though we are in conflict today and we are the church militant today, what awaits us is a glorious existence, the church triumphant, basking in the glories won by our comforter, by our champion, the Lord Jesus Christ, the lion and the lamb. You see, because we go into the conflict with the champion, with the comforter, with the Christ, we can be assured that what awaits us is victory, brightness, glory. As Daniel saw one who gleamed with glory, 
So too, now he sees the saints raised to share in that glory, now brighter than the stars of heaven. What a powerful picture for us to see and one to take comfort in. That, that we're not only revealed one who is with us in the conflict, but we're also shown the end of the conflict, the consummation of all things, when we share in the glory of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So today we fight not against flesh and blood, but we fight against spiritual powers with the word of God and in prayer every day for ourselves, for our families, for our church, for the saints. And we pray that God's word would speed forth until that day when his glory, the the, the glory of the knowledge of the Lord covers the earth, even as the waters cover the sea. And even in that glory, we will share shining brighter than the stars of heaven, for we share in the glory of the risen King, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, what a wonderful vision that Daniel saw long ago, and yet one that speaks to us even today. Father, we know that we are in a great conflict, a great war, one in which our strength is not uh, adequate, and yet you've given us a champion, you've given us the Christ, the one who's been raised from the dead, in whose hands are the keys of death and Hades. Father, we look forward to the day that we, as we um, fight in his name, will one day share in his glory. And who we are today, though it is hidden, will then be revealed as we shine brighter than the stars, sharing in his brightness, in his wonder. Father, until that day, keep us strong in him, and may we guard ourselves in the full armor of God. Cause us to stand, even in this city, and cause us to be strong for you, in Jesus' name, amen.